You're listening to Extra Textual. This is a show where we talk about an idea, concept, theme, trend, and relate it to some kind of media like film, TV, video games, books, music, and hopefully discover something about ourselves or our culture along the way. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the show. This is Eli Steenlage, and with me is... Jeremy Holliday. And on this episode, we are talking about Incredibles 2. Incredibles 2. Incredibles 2, the uh, big follow-up to the original Incredibles, which uh, I think was something like 14 years ago. Um, So there's a kind of unprecedented break, I think, for animated films um, in the distance between, at least like Pixar films, uh, between those those time periods. So um, it's kind of a big topic because I know for one, Jeremy has been waiting with his family a long time for this. Right? Yeah, I mean, my oldest son is alive. 10. Yeah. Um, and The Incredibles was has been his favorite movie for six or seven years. Yeah. Um, and I mean, some of the, when he first learned about like, how films are made and stuff. He's like, Jamie, is there is there Incredibles too? So I mean, we've been googling that for probably since we've lived in Wait, Wisconsin. Like five, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you ever think it would come that day? They'd make oh, it. Well, yes. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I knew it was going to be different. I mean, because mm-hmm. there's cars, cars two, cars three, planes, and small yeah. planes, and I think probably. Finding Nemo, Finding Dory is like the only equivalent to like, yeah, and not quite as long no. as this. Yeah. But I mean, but I mean, you have Toy Story, yeah. which is good. Toy Story Two was my favorite mm-hmm. of them. Toy Story Three, good, solid, yeah. you know, fine mm-hmm. ending. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, uh, The Incredibles is probably one of the best animated films of all time. Maybe I'm just yeah. gonna say that. Yeah, it's pretty up there. Yeah. Um, so to follow it up, I mean, you can't. I mean, you can't do like. You know, the Land Before Time four, <laughs> right. you know, where yeah. there's like singing and dancing. Like it has yeah. to be, it had to be quality, or they weren't, they couldn't mm-hmm. bring it out. So with that, my question for you is to start us off: Do you think, with this long wait, that this lives up to what this could be as far as a sequel to the Great Incredibles? Do you think it? It is like they had. They said, "Now we have the idea we want to make to uh, to continue this series with these characters." Or do you feel like this was a little bit more like, "Oh, we can make an Incredibles two. Here's a story. We'll just throw this out there." Do you feel like it was well thought through that they wanted to tell this specific story about this family? Well, I mean, there was like ten questions in there, Elon. Yeah, yeah. Um, the last one is well. The um, I was really pleased with The Incredibles 2, and I thought it was great. Mm. Um, I was not as blown away by it as I was by the original Incredibles, and I don't think that it it is as solid throughout all of its different parts the way the first one is. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, I I think the the original Incredibles, it's like two hours long, over two hours long. Um, It it is difficult to sustain quality over that amount of time period. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's a special film. Yeah, um, and I think so. My point, um, I guess, the way I was talking to a friend of mine the other day who does media criticism, and I said this: it's like you can't make the Incredibles twice, right? right. Like it's one of those. But when what happens is like when stories, you yeah. yeah, and like like the world before 
it's like the world before The Incredibles and afterwards is different. Like it's mm-hmm. a, it's a, obviously like a landmark piece of film, mm-hmm. certainly for superheroes, certainly for animation, certainly for Pixar. Yeah. And you can't do that again. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think the ways in which I compare them, if that's they're a valid um, one positive comparison, is like in the first film you have. Rob, I mean, you have uh, Robert's story. Mm-hmm. It's primarily Mr. Incredible's story right. dealing with the crisis of midlife mm-hmm. um, and other sorts of related items, but that's one of the stories. Yeah. In this film, you have the other side of that, which is Helen's story. You have Elastigirl's story and, and her mm-hmm. sort of crisis of midlife, which is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, the focus is on more elements mm-hmm. in The Incredibles 2, yeah. such that in the first one, there is a lot of Robert, and there's a lot more about his journey and his preparation, mm-hmm. and certainly like in, certainly in montage. There's a lot of montage devoted to him getting back in shape and getting his right. life. Two very wonderful montages about getting back in shape and also getting his like life in order when he comes back with the fancy car and stuff mm-hmm. and all the like making out at the door. Great <laughs> montages, great yeah. montages. Um, a lot of that gets compressed in a slightly shorter film with Helen, but you still have um, something that I think happens a lot more in films these days. Maybe like it, maybe I don't. Where mm-hmm. like they they have the high point, like she has the comment about having ridden the Mohawk, or the comment about right. like electric bicycle, you know, yeah. or electric motorcycle, and a couple other things that show that there's a depth to her past mm-hmm. that we don't okay. know, yeah. um, and she's you know, getting back in touch with that, which is part of what, like, the crisis at midlife is about. Mm-hmm. I think all that's great. Um, I think it is difficult to have a better villain than Syndrome yeah. for two reasons. Number one, um, the very his activity um, echoes that of Watchmen, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the creation of an evil over which you can come, over which you can overcome. Yeah. Um, and th- there is little there are a few superhero stories that are better than that to my mind that that bring together all of the business of than Watchmen yeah than Watchmen yeah, yeah this um, is sort of like Watchmen light right the Incredibles yeah I mean you can but sure yeah um but light not in a derogatory sense no just no. in like you know I mean it, it's for it's for a, a universal audience right um, and yeah. there's no room for some of the grittier stuff in the there darker, yeah. you know but I mean you have the bit about capes which is directly from it too mm-hmm. um. So when you have the, the multi-tiered villain of Screen Slaver in Incredibles 2, it, it's not as good as Syndrome um, because it, you know, like, but there's only like, you can only have the animated version of Watchmen once. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? And, and it, yeah. it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I think that there's, there's so much more contemporary critique in Incredibles 2 than there is in the True. original Incredibles. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly like, it, it's a, it is a, a wide-ranging critique of the culture of consumption of media, right. um, of superhero films in general, mm-hmm. um, and I like how they blend that with their noir theme. Right? I mean, I'm a big yeah. in noir. I mean, because like part of how it works, you know, like Helen makes it all the way through and she beats Screen Slaver, and yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's one thing which is always my favorite part of the noir story. Like mm-hmm. halfway through the noir story, you know, we got the guy locked yeah, in prison yeah. and everything's fine except tiny little nagging doubt mm-hmm. you know and then she follows this one element and unravels sort of the larger part of the story getting caught in herself right. you know and she becomes the same you know she becomes the hard-boiled detective in the classic noir film and she gets she gets drawn into the world of of evil and darkness against her will <laughs> right, you know right. Incredibles 2 and yeah. so and, and I like the way that that works I mean I think the original Incredibles is more of a James Bond yeah it's kind more of, of a spy style yeah especially 
Um, and Incredibles Two has more of what I would consider like a neo noir structure to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got it's got other elements in there too in terms of story. Definitely more super, superhero driven. Yeah, like you know I mean it, it, yeah. If you replace espionage with some good old fashioned mm-hmm. punching in the face, yeah. Um, but I mean, you have you have Void in there mm-hmm. um, towards the end. There's full of spoilers, but um, she's fantastic. Yeah, um, she's a great character, probably one of the best new characters cool in the show. Yeah. And well, I mean, but just her as a person. Yeah, yeah. Her power is also cool, yeah. you know. And like, and so you get um, some of the coolest. And so, like, if you for those of you who ever played the game Portal. Right, I mean, like this is the best representation of kind of what the portal will trans- like transfer physics through trans, you know, locational, yeah. you know, portals are. Um, you know, the best version of that has happened on film, and it's fun and fantastic and interesting, mm-hmm. and you know, and creative and fun all the way through. And and there's a lot of it. Like there's yeah. a lot of void throwing up portals all over the place. Right, and I and, like the like missing. You know, yeah, when yeah, yeah. Through portal, have to re- right. redo it. Um, which is great. If, if for those of you who played Portal, that's exactly what it's like. You just <laughs> yeah. die about ten times until you get it right. Um, you know, I, I mean, I also like too that. Uh, you know, I mean, it's you know, again, it's it's Helen's story. So ultimately, mm-hmm. Helen, through ingenuity, mm-hmm. not just you know um, power, yeah. is able to beat um, you know the screen slaver. You know, the other um, in the end, much the way Robert does. Like it, mm-hmm. it's not because he can punch strong enough. It's because of ingenuity cleverness and teamwork that our heroes succeed which are always really good things um i mean so i do have some critique possibly of that and and i may sound in this episode like i am more negative about this film than i actually am but because i really enjoyed it we went as a whole family and um i had tons of fun a smile on my face watching it yeah but i think some elements that are easy to gloss over like do sort of like almost get mixed up in my brain afterwards like i'm not i tried to think of like what does the villain want both villains like the screen slaver and like the actual villain um the sister i can't remember her name but the character it's kind of like a muddle of different things they're trying to convey um that they don't quite follow up but i think i was talking to my wife afterwards and since we don't have a regular uh female co-host on this show i'll sort of mention some of her thoughts sometimes but I, I was like this is this is cool that we get elastigirl sort of story in this one right like she gets to go on the adventures and do the cool stuff and she was like mm, it's still robert's story it's still his like it's about him like dealing with her being gone at home that's the focus and then we just sort of jump and see her like doing some action once in a while but like really it's like his emotional story and stuff and i thought that was a unique take i don't know if i totally agree um, I think they at least tried to make it her story. And I probably did relate more to his story on things because of being a dad and uh, spending time at home taking care of the kids or something. But I thought that was at least good to to have that different perspective, whether I totally agree with it or not. But yeah, I think it may be good to go back and say, we you were talking about how great the original is and you can't really like top those concepts you can't do them again necessarily yeah but let's maybe discuss like what are those what makes the original so great and you know maybe how did they try to follow up with those or create new ideas or what are those new ideas like updating it to more relevant things i mean one thing i did sort of forget about going into the new one is that this is like a period 
time period in some ways. I mean, it is yeah. like its own. It's like a milieu. Yeah, it's got like gadgets and stuff that yeah. exist more today, not from the. Yeah, was it, it like 50s, 60s? Yeah, it's a mix. You can yeah. just a mix of tech. They right. have left like complex Wi Fi <laughs> yeah, yeah. and like tube TVs, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. I mean, it's a fun sort of mix up of things. Yeah. But I think for me, the original, what makes it great is I think what you talked about, like that kind of connection and play with Watchmen ideas. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a pretty mature thing they sort of accomplish at the beginning of talking yeah. about these heroes who society thinks maybe it's better to not have them around um, because they're causing more trouble. And we even get like these dark themes at the beginning of a guy trying to commit suicide. Yeah. And he's mad because he didn't, he stopped him. Yeah. I mean, that for a kid's film, that's really dark. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> and I mean, I also think too, I mean, there's, I, I mean, this is just like a yay Pixar mm-hmm. part, but I mean, like if you took like the first 30 minutes of, of, of the best Pixar films, yeah. like Wally Up, you know, or even like uh-huh. the first 10 minutes of The Incredibles, yeah. I mean, like these, these are complete and masterful stories right. in and of themselves mm-hmm. before we even get to the, the plot that yeah. we're talking about. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, and so I think um, in the original one, it their focus is much narrower mm-hmm. than the second one. That's I right. mean, and again, like the second one, I don't think is as good as the first. Yeah. But like, I don't. It's hard to. Yeah. But I, I, but like I think it's true. But I don't want to like grump about it. I don't really. It, yeah. it doesn't bother me. Mm. Like and I'm, I'm like I'll probably never mention it again. Like I don't. Really <laughs> um, I think in, the, in the first one, I mean, you have the the, the theme. There are many themes, but yeah. what what syndrome represents um, is like someone normal mm-hmm. who's trying to be super. Yeah. And ends up, and it, it turns out that that can only happen. By like creating an evil to overcome, mm. and it the, the the part for me about syndrome that is more important is not so much like you know the Watchman esque creation of the evil alien over which he is supposed to triumph, yeah. but but how he gets to that point in the first place, mm-hmm. right? He's very intelligent. Mm-hmm. He sells all that technology to anybody who wants it, right? And that's how he makes his money. Mm. He he is in, in in a sense completely amoral. Right. And in in the world of the movies, it's significant because um, mm. I think there is, I don't, I mean, you could divide the world into m- moral and immoral, but yeah. most immoral people don't declare themselves as such. <laughs> right. They they talk about like, well, I'm just a businessman, or I'm mm-hmm. just, you know. So there's there's moral and amoral mm-hmm. people that are trying to do a right thing, and people to who say morality doesn't matter. Yeah. And you have that same parallel in the second as well. I mean, there's several places that it happens. One is at the beginning when they're complaining when they're complaining that Robert has damaged a bunch of things and trying to save the underminer and they're like if you would have just not done it all like this stuff or, this stuff is covered by insurance. It right. doesn't matter anyway. Mm-hmm. Which is it positions the the characters in the story. Mm-hmm. And also like what differentiates um, our supers, like our protagonist supers mm-hmm. from other superheroes people who are perceived to be villains and the common and like politicians yeah. um, are that they're trying to do what they believe is right. Mm-hmm. It's not ultimately whether they are powerful or capable of doing that. Yeah. It's, it's their moral choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're more like uh, their identification with that morality, which is yeah. something that bothered me a great deal in reading like early, like a, a, the early wave of criticism about the Incredibles. They talked mm-hmm. a great deal about the objectivist critique and, and, right. and Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand yeah. Um, and you know, 
putting Brad Bird in this particular place. Mm-hmm. It's fine. I don't really agree with it, but I also think it's not just um, it's not just their uniqueness and their ability which sets them apart. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are plenty of people who attempt to do good who are not super who are lauded in the film. Right. Um, and that's what like they are. I mean, it's it's a simple in some sense it's a children's film, mm-hmm. um, and so that like both being super. Um, and being good are almost always synonymous, but they're not. Because mm-hmm. um, you have Syndrome and you have the sister who, you know, they're, they are Bruce Wayne's essentially, like their their gift is intelligence and inventiveness. Right. Um, and they use them for not immoral, but amoral purposes that eventually mm-hmm. become immoral. They just right, don't yeah. particularly care. Um, and I think that you have, it. it's in some sense, that morality is complicated at the very beginning of the, of the original mm-hmm. Incredibles. Because... Mm-hmm. You know, like, Mr. Incredible is just trying to do what he considers to be the best thing. And we would argue, you're saving someone's life, mm-hmm. right? And from and at that moment, doing that thing that is that is good, probably, mm-hmm. like, arguably the best thing you can do, is compromised in this world. Mm-hmm. We're like, I don't know. Yeah. Right? right? And that is better done than in the second film when, like, he attempts to save the bank from... Right. Um, the underminer. Mm-hmm. And I think for me as a writer, I mean, like, you know, like if I were writing, um, I would make it clearer. Because mm. it's, slo- it's a little bit sloppy. Because right. the underminer gets away. We never see him again. Yeah, we never see him. Yeah. And they didn't save the money. Mm-hmm. And they essentially just kind of saved t- the town hall from being demolished. They did a little right. bit of good in a big sea of nonsense. Mm-hmm. The part that, that I found most interesting, though, in watching that, probably like the second or third time, is like no one blames the underminer, mm. right? Yeah, they are. They're blaming Robert and right. his wife and their family. Like, this is just the thing that happened for causing for for like for attempting for causing all this damage, attempting to um, to save him or you know, to help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you know, and they're saving money, not lives. So it's a little mm-hmm. more complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's this sense, you know, and I don't know if this is intentional or not. Mm-hmm. But there's this sense in there that like evil's just assumed. Right. Like we assume that there is supposed to be an amount of evil in the world mm-hmm. and we deal with it and we have insurance and all is fine. We don't need to actually it's get the most rid of evil. Way to do it, yeah. Right. Um, and so you have um, any character who stands up to that status quo of mm-hmm. the allowance, allowing evil to be there is what sets them as super, right? And, right. Like, and our protagonist supers do that in the story. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, just in the age of Trump, man, yeah. like there is little else. Mm-hmm. Um, you can say other than I mean I think that, you know we're, we're, yeah I'm not going to purport to be on both sides of anything but um, <laughs> if you think what the president is doing is evil and what is going on in the, in the country is evil um, if you want to be counted as being worthwhile you got to stand up and do something about it right not just say like that's the way it is or like right and, I, and I think that there's years, um, or, yeah. in, in, in his election and in the time since I mean there are people all over and this is I mean like wh- whatever side of the aisle you're on mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of like well you know uh, handering and like well yeah. you know we're not entirely sure he's not non-racist we're not entirely right. sure he's you know we're like well we know that he's more personally repugnant but economically he's doing great right we can um, ignore these other things, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that... Um, but there's also a part that, like, I, I don't... I don't see the original Incredibles as being rooted in any particular time, and that may be my yeah. own ignorance about it. And there's a part, too, that, like, many of the early critiques of the Incredibles, too, similar to what I just did, it places it at this very moment in time. Yeah. And I think that that's just... 
it's a little dangerous mm-hmm. um, because you you end up partially because it's that kind of opinion is so fleeting. I mean, it's mm-hmm. particularly in our world right now, where like you know who knows. I mean, today we're talking about one thing, and in three days, everyone in the world will be talking about some other tweet or some other sorts of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so to to talk about to say that it's about right now is, I think, or to say that it was intended to be about now by yeah. its, by the authors of the film is, is I think irresponsible and a little short-sighted because I think that there is because there's this big universal theme in the Mm -hmm. film about and because it uses the noir structure because Helen is the one who decides to look deeper like Mm -hmm. we have everything's wrapped up just fine right got the bad guy bad guy's in jail everything Mm -hmm. worked out everything's you know like yeah yeah, like everyone is happy but it's not true and you know and and it's and it's that and I think in all the noir stories, and Helen in particular in this case, it's that that allows us to identify with them, right? Mm-hmm. It's that that little doubt mm-hmm. that eh, you think it might be bullshit yeah. um, that breaks you out of the regular world mm-hmm. and, and, and brings you into the underworld mm-hmm. where you have a chance of glimpsing what all of that is. Um, yeah. I mean, I w- and I would say, like, from my perspective... What you're talking about, Brad Bird is not so much objectivism, but saying like you should use your skills and talents to do your best, to do something worthy with them. Yeah. Not so much that there's sort of this order of like people who are better than others yeah. um, and should be have yeah. the power. And because I mean, like in the first one. Bob having to take this insurance job. Yeah. Like, I totally relate to that on a normal level. Right. He is not... I mean, this is like a hyper view of it. Yeah. Like a metaphor of saying, Mm -hmm. like, he has superpowers. He should be using them to do something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in my case, I might just feel like I am not using my potential in this way, even though I might be making a living for my family and stuff, which is good, too. But, like, can I make a difference in a more important way using what I... Yeah. feel like I'm made to do. You know well, there, I mean? there are two things I want to say. One thing I didn't really notice until you mentioned this, but, well, three things. Mm-hmm. One, insurance. Um, that part of, like, in the, in the first movie with Bob and the insurance company yeah. is just fantastic yeah. storytelling. It is, yeah. Period. Mm-hmm. Two, I, I realized now that, the, like, the, that comment in the second film about, oh, we have insurance for this, like, I think is a reference to that as well. Yeah. The so third like, is that, it, I'm just going to, like, go out on a limb and say, in, in some sense, for, for me, the, the point of The Incredibles as the audience, who mm-hmm. lives in a world in which there are not superpowers, mm-hmm. the superpowers um, are irrelevant. Mm. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like, ultimately what matters is what, what Helen chooses to stand up against mm-hmm. and what Robert chooses to stand up against. And, and also their kids, right? Yeah. I mean, because in both cases... Um, the kids who are less powerful than the adults, though mm-hmm. they still have some powers. Right. Um, and I would say, arguably, if you took this and paralleled it with some other sort of adventure film, like statistically, mm-hmm. um, these superpowered kids are about as, you know, like likely to die as people without superpowers, right? Yeah. Because of Although the Although pa- Jack-Jack's pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, but it's like babies don't die in films. Right. Unless it's, right, you you know, so I mean, there's some sense that like whether it's superpowers explicitly Mm -hmm. or merely the like structure of the narrative or the power of being the protagonist, um, it's not ultimately about what superpowers they have or whether Mm -hmm. they have superpowers or not. It's an irrelevant element to the story in some reading. The kids go, the kids are less powerful than their parents Mm -hmm. and they, and they undertake the task and the journey uh, regardless of that. Yeah. And so that choice, regardless of the stakes mm-hmm. um, or the differentials in powers, mm-hmm. is what's important. And I think yeah. that, so. That's why, like, when I think, 
the critiques about what it means to be super. Mm-hmm. I, I know it's a, a film about superheroes. Mm-hmm. I know it's a film about uniqueness. But it's also a film about like just making choices. Yeah. Right? I mean, part of, you know, like Robert and Frozone in the first film going and saving the people in the burning building mm-hmm. is not so much that other people are trying but can't. Yeah. It's just no one else is, mm-hmm. um, is yeah. at that particular point. And so they do. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's... Well, so... And the, the way that it relates to the, the theme in the second one, which it... I would have to watch it probably even more times to yeah, sort all of it out. But part of the point of the um, the villain, mm-hmm. you know, the screen slaver, you know, the sister, um, whose name I wish I could remember, she... Is that people need to do things for themselves... Mm-hmm. They don't. If they wait for other people or super people to do it for them, then they'll just end up being taken advantage of or fail or sorts of things. Right. And I think like that's a fine perspective, you know, and, and certainly interesting in the context of the film. She is a villain, mm-hmm. um, and she doesn't do a very good job of bringing about that world. Like she right. doesn't empower people to do things. She's like, well, I'm just going to get rid of all the supers. Mm-hmm. Um, which is sort of the opposite of syndrome who wants to make everyone super right. but ultimately it's to not have differences um, mm-hmm. and I think again for me it's not about like the the objectivist perspective that there are <laughs> there are geniuses in the world and they're not yeah. but it's about it's about people that make challenging choices to take care of other people mm-hmm. um, and to do really challenging work yeah and I would say that connects a powerful theme for me watching the second one was seeing Robert step back into the home. Yeah. And I think it's a lot of, the films are a lot about the different like changing roles also yeah. in the family yeah. and how that can be important. And I've heard some criticism that they're like, really? I mean, like this is not a very like progressive idea of like a dad dealing with like taking care of his kids and, um, cooking and things like that taking care of a baby like can't we do something a little more progressive but i think it's more about those changing roles in the family and how you know a husband and wife adjust to that in their marriage and things like that um that they can handle those things and we go through phases too and i think that that was what a powerful theme for me was in being able to adjust those things so i think that sort of fights back against what um i looked it up evelyn deaver yes evelyn is sort of going against too that people can change and um, be unique and express that in different ways uh, and do those different things. I mean, I would say I wish some of these different themes were a little better fleshed out in the yeah, second yeah, one. Yeah. I wish they would have, like you said, sort of made it a little more razor sharp what they were going for instead of kind of throwing out some of the... Because it is a little bit about, like, you know, consumer culture, and there's kind of this parental theme of, like, screen time and how much we're doing it. And I think they could have taken, like, that farther, possibly. Um, Maybe related it to the kids and how they use screens more or something. Yeah. But they kind of, like, drop off some of those. I think there's also this concept introduced at the beginning, which kind of comes over from the first one, but is stronger here, where they explicitly talk about... Elastigirl has to break the law to do what she's doing, but she's trying to fight against something that is, you know, unjust, but, like, also a misperception, they feel like, in society. 
And I think that also relates to what's happening now. Yeah. Um, and how people feel like what how do we handle those things you know how do we sort of fight back against what we think is not right even if it's like law or something yeah i mean there's a really um gosh a lot to say there (laughs) um i'll try to limit my comments um i I often wonder you know gosh i can't believe i'm saying this out loud I, i often wonder what it felt like before the French Revolution, and and also and also like what it felt like at other places in Europe, mm. watching the mm. French Revolution. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I mean, like they didn't. I mean, lots of people. I mean, there's a lot of kings' heads in baskets. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, and I don't think that ultimately that kind of violence is uh, ultimately productive. Right. But I think what was remarkable about it historically, and I am not a historical scholar of this sort of thing, <laughs> um, is like how an entire system. Uh, of heredity, you know, hereditary rule, and mm-hmm. and things that have been in place and immovable for centuries, right. um, was destroyed mm. in you know a hot summer. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that that's you know, but I often wonder like, what is it? What does it feel like? Or like, what are the precursors to that kind of catastrophic change? Yeah. You know, also like right. like what did it feel like in America before? Um, the first, rev- you know, the, mm-hmm. before the like, you know, the first battles of the Revolutionary War, right. or certainly towards the end when it looked like it's possible to win. Right. You know, I mean, like mm-hmm. there hadn't been, a, you know, like a colony of this size that had done that. Yeah. Um, and I often wonder, you know, looking too at some of the things going on now, even even like on on the left talking about like uh, abolishing ICE. You know, which some people are like, oh, we need something to regulate, you know, like immigration. Yeah. I'm like, we do have something to, reg- re- re- you know, to regulate immigration. Mm-hmm. Um, and be like, maybe this entire way of doing things is needs to be totally changed. Right. And also there's just, oh gosh, I'm not sure exactly how to say it, but I think there's a sense a lot of places for, for people that voted for Trump and people voted mm-hmm. against Trump that there is a, a system at place in, in politics in our world that has a, a whole bunch of power, which is entrenched and, and, and all of the rules work for them, right? Because yeah. they make them and yeah. they manipulate them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think people that voted against and voted for and vo- who voted for Trump wanted to change that. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's, yeah, that question of like, how do you, if if all of the laws work for, um, a certain segment, yeah, certain segment of the population or a system which isn't working, what exactly do you do? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, if the general system of laws is immoral like mm-hmm. you know is your unlawful moral action justified which right. is some of the i mean this is the right. essence of ethics you know <laughs> right, this, right. these are classical questions yeah. um one of the things that i think oh my gosh i just want to say it is like one of the things i think is really challenging like an issue of like race and race mm-hmm. relations is like a white person is uh not racist um unless they say they are or unless they maybe get caught saying the n-word right right, right? and those are the only two things mm-hmm. that you know like you know because like, totally not racist, racist yeah. but if you get caught saying the n-word mm-hmm. or if you openly say you're a racist right which That's means right. that like and, and if you look at the the situation um legally with the supreme court like essentially if you say you're not racist and de- and declare that your policy is not about race, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if it disproportionately affects people of different races. It, it literally, I mean, like, and there are Supreme Court precedents to establish it. Yeah. Um, so it's like, as long as white people say, not racist, mm-hmm. it's totally fine. Right. Um, and there's some element of that that is 
beyond absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, and you saw, I mean, I don't know too much about it, but you saw a lot of this in, in like the, before the fall of apartheid in South Africa, where mm-hmm. like, obviously, you know, like it was yeah. far worse there than it is here, but policies which are obviously racist, but talked about in a different way. I mean, like they were also allowed to be allowed, I mean, they were, because of the structure of the government, allowed to be allowed to be a lot more open about it, but there's some stuff that wasn't. And I um, mean, just a small point, I think it ties in slightly, and I don't know that they were going full into this, but it's a unique critique that the way that they want to reverse this law is by making sure that people see her doing a good job as a superhero. Yeah, And I don't think they really want it to be shady, or at least Elastigirl, but it's all about... Uh, you know, the siblings are about the perception of oh, it's what they all of, see. Yeah. And I think that kind of relates to what you say. Like, it's not necessarily about, like, people thinking for themselves whether this is right or wrong or how does it affect me um, or, or all people, how does it affect all people. But, you know, how is it conveyed to me of what I should think about this, you know? Yeah. Um, do we see them destroying lots of buildings? But they accomplish something and we talked about that's a little hard but or do we see them not destroying anything and saving the day obviously that's better but like it's not always the case um but one tells us it's good and one tells us well the other thing is i mean like and to, to make it on the argument that it is about a lot of what is going on in this moment in history i mean i think a lot of what I mean, I say this all the time, but I, I think a lot of what's going on at this moment in history is we are living out the implications of what Stephen Colbert wrote um, <laughs> about the concept of truthiness, which yeah. I mean, when, when, when I first read about it, you know, I don't remember what the name of his book was. I think it's like, I am American, you can too, or something, where yeah. you're talking about truth, tr- truthiness. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the idea, I mean, it, it's the first time I had read it in print uh, mm. as articulately as that about um, essentially what we now call like a post-truth world, yeah. um, where... It doesn't matter mm-hmm. what really is. It matters in in some sort of weird public sphere creation of things. Yeah, I mean, um, we totally see that played out with Trump. Yeah, um, which it's just about how strongly you express it <laughs> and, yeah. and sort of put it out there as the truth. Well, and 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 at some point, I mean, it's I think it's just a fact that it it doesn't matter if it's objectively true. Mm-hmm. It matters if he can say it and Fox News can report it and people can believe it. Right. Um and 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 it it has enough. I mean, there's enough people that believe everything he says. Mm-hmm. Whether they honestly do or they choose to, I don't know. Right. Um did it the truth doesn't matter mm-hmm. for a large portion of what he's doing. Um, it's, it's just a shame. I mean, like, yeah. there's there's few things in my life which get me quite as riled up as mm-hmm. uh, commitment to the truth itself. Right. You know, regardless of what it is, mm-hmm. um, I mean, just if you don't if you if you don't start from that, then among other things, one, um, you don't have anything to stand on, and and two, right. you have no control. Yeah. Um, because then if you don't have a commitment to some sort of agreed, sen- agreed sense of what is true, mm-hmm. um, you know, whoever yells at all this is, is what happens. And yeah. so, and I think that they, there's just, um, I, I don't know how to describe it, but I see it all over the place. You know, like mm-hmm. even, you know, if we were to take, well, I don't, I don't know a great example, but I think there, there, there are many small examples. I'll do small mm-hmm. and some big. So many small examples of like, you know, in the issue of like gun control, like where you yeah. know, like maybe maybe the example of Sandy Hook works. Mm-hmm. So like, someone goes into a school and shoots up a bunch of elementary school kids. Yeah. 
um, one of the most deadliest, certainly in, like in terms of age, some of the youngest, and one of the most sort of tragic events mm-hmm. um, in modern America in terms yeah. of that kind of thing, um, or anything really. Um, and it's so shocking that maybe we think maybe like some actual gun control change might happen, something might happen. <laughs> um, and one of the responses um, mm-hmm. from Alex Jones and Infowars mm-hmm. is that it's a hoax. Not at first, but shortly afterwards, yeah. and that is manufactured. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that what that means to me is that it's some th- like they're they're trying to create um, reality or shape mm-hmm. reality um, in a way that will support like their political point. Right. There's some doubt. Right, and and I think like you know lots of and people like like as if there's these two spheres like there's mm-hmm. stuff that actually happens totally uninfluenced by what we want it to be, and then mm-hmm. sort of like the, our policies and and you know and beliefs about it. Yeah. But the truth is that I mean we're all in some sense in our own reality television shows mm-hmm. now, <laughs> um, and when they you know even like the it's almost quaint mm-hmm. the way that the brother and sister talk about being PR for her right. because. Anyone who does any kind of media, that is reality for everyone. Mm-hmm. Knowing that, like, what you do behind the Whatever. scenes is majority bullshit, mm-hmm. and you put on a show and people present it, and yeah. and and you, like whether we don't go behind the scenes or we just like, do we? Are there, are there any real doubts as to how <laughs> like President Trump feels about people of different races? Mm-hmm. Like judging by his actions, it's pretty clear. Right. But oh, he says he's not racist, so we're fine. Yeah, and like that—that that kind of, that kind of disconnection and, and absurdity is like the is like the the basis of some of the greatest science fiction and mm-hmm. the greatest dystopic things. Um, it's it's a, a hallmark of a, a horribly <laughs> sick society. Yeah. Um, but I think that they, you know, they play with it in several ways in the film. One mm-hmm. with the way that they use Helen. Yeah. Um, um, secondly, in the way like that the screen slaver, what the screen slaver says is true, like the, mm-hmm. sort of that monologue about like screens and, and commitment, you know, like being devoted to them and waiting right. for people to come. It's true. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, it's weird that like the film is using these villains to talk about these ideas. And even, you know, Syndrome too, I think yeah. what's rare about these films is the filmmakers are probably not saying like, we don't completely disbelieve what they're talking about. Yeah. Like, there's truth in there. Um, it's more about how they go about it. Right. Uh, that's bad, but you don't see that definitely in kids' films very often. Yeah. Um, the way that they're... Because it does seem like these are ideas that they have, the filmmakers, um, about our society in some way, or they want to like get it out there and talk yeah. about it. Uh, but they're using the villains to talk about it. Which yeah, I think it's really and I mean, I mean, you know, ha- whatever. Hats off to Pixar to try to make to try to say something. Mm-hmm. I mean, the la- I yeah. mean, I I don't have a comprehensive view of media or culture, so I mm-hmm. you know I'm just I can't say this. But like <laughs> the last big blockbuster attempt we had to make a comment about screen time was Ready Player One. Mm-hmm. In the end, and it was, yeah, it was terrible. Flat, like yeah. flat. Yeah, that, that's a couple of days. That is. Kind. Days yeah. yeah. And I mean, like, I mean, ultimately, like, it's, I mean, uh, it's, um, in terms of, like, what, what that actually looks like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there is, I think, for, you know, for ourselves and our kids, some kind of, you just say no. 
Yeah. You know, and you have a period of time where you say no to screens or your mm-hmm. phone or something and you connect personally. You know, and I don't know that it would look, I just, I don't think it would look like it the way it does in the Ready Player One. Yeah. Um, but it is entirely possible that in our lifetimes, like maybe Overwatch shuts down on Wednesdays <laughs> or maybe World of Warcraft is not on on, right. you know, like Tuesday mornings or something. Force it's entire, yeah. entirely possible. Mm-hmm. Um, there will probably be pirated side servers in that case, um, but it also might be there. I, yeah. I just think that like, it's such a deep part of where everyone in the world is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the ability to engage with and process massive amounts more of information through mm-hmm. various media you yeah. know, and devices. Um, that it's not something that you can throw a quip at the end of your <laughs> you know, blockbuster epic about it. Right. I mean, it's like the subject. I mean, it's, it's going to be the, the subject of many hundreds of films and shows for the next generation. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, as we slowly become cyber people, I mean, you know, yeah. this is like, it's a big challenge. And I think that there, there's all kinds of different takes, nuances, mm-hmm. perspectives of it. I think we get more of them in Incredibles 2 than we have in other ones. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that the film uh, comments as uh, Helen and Bob talking a lot about yeah. it to their kids. they don't. But I do think the it was unique seeing it with my kids and the way that Bob sort of uh, goes through this process with his kids of like dealing with them and not knowing how to mm-hmm. not knowing how to do the homework and help and feeling sort of lost not knowing how to put their baby to bed yeah um, and can't do it and he sort of has like this meltdown moment and his kids like start to realize like oh like we're making it really hard for him or like you know just like this whole thing dealing with all these yeah like they sort of have this like switch flip and be like oh maybe we need to help a little bit yeah um because our parents are changing who they are and things like that so i'd like did kind of make a comment to my oldest son i think during the film but i just kept wanting to like lean over and be like see see what's going on <laughs> like but I think he's finally old enough where we have had some of those conversations and kind of like hey do you like have the awareness to see like what's happening in the situation mm-hmm. like if you act this way the younger ones act this way yeah. like that's why we tell you not, or like we're doing this for your health or for your your like wellness not just to like tell you what to do um, so I, I mean like it's rare in live action to have that sort of insight, I guess. Yeah. Like, out of I it. mean, I, I think, so, like, the, the, from the first film and in the second one, um, the Parr family feels much realer mm-hmm. than many other families. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, th- I think um, your wife's comment, Jess's, com- uh, Jess's comment about yeah. um, it's still Robert's story is, is valid. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that said, like, my wife, who um, is the one that works in our family, identified a great deal with Helen's struggle. Yeah. You know, like the you know, like being responsible th- for the home and going out and doing that. Because, mm-hmm. like, I mean, it's just the, the gender roles are not the same. Yeah. And and it, and I don't think they they don't pretend that they are. Mm-hmm. Robert doesn't have caring responsibilities that he leaves to go to do super work. Mm-hmm. He has a job, you know, like, and that's yeah. a difference. He's a job, loses mm-hmm. a job, fakes, you know, mm-hmm. to go to do superhero work. Um, I mean the. Like, the part when Robert almost loses it in the second film, mm-hmm. when he's like, what happens when I run out of cookies? Yeah. Right? That is what it feels like for a parent who has a baby. Like, mm-hmm. that's what 
nearly all parents yeah. who have normal children who don't sleep, that's right. what it feels like. Yeah. I mean, for my son, it was like, you know, I, I would get so tired that I couldn't, like, pat him <laughs> and rock him with the exact frequency that he would require. Yeah. And, I, and I, would, I would fall asleep while, like, trying to put him to sleep, and he would right. wake up again. And I'm that's like, fair, right? I, I can't function. Like, I'm, right. I, I, I don't, like, I literally am, I have nothing I can do. Right. Um, and so that moment... In, inside the metaphor of like the baby with the crazy powers mm-hmm. you know just in like your son or daughter brings out like some crazy stuff from god knows where right, in the yeah, behavior yeah. world mm-hmm. like that felt very real and yeah. th- that i really really liked mm-hmm. and you're just trying to like keep them alive basically right like you're like, themselves? Yeah. You're like <laughs> yes yeah. try uh, to keep them in this dimension i also thought um related a lot to like a harder thing to convey for parents too in that like in the first film, he's not shown very invested in his yeah. family either, in his children. But I think, like, it goes beyond just being, like, he's not a very good husband or dad. Like, he needs to, like, wake up and, like, get it together, which some of it he does. But, like, there is a real connection between he's not satisfied in any way and, like, doing what he's supposed to do. Right. And that does carry over into those other areas. It's hard to, like, invest in people when you're not doing, like, work or whatever that is. And I think we get that with Helen in the second one, too. Like, she just sort of, like, wakes up her own old personality and stuff more, too. And there's some, like, you lose some of that when you become parents a little bit. Yeah, well, yeah, and, and I think that's why, like, you know, we don't have to, like... I mean, gosh darn it, the way they talked about Helen, mm-hmm. I mean, they, I mean, a lot of the critics talked about Helen in the second yeah. film. I mean, they just just expected her to do everything <laughs> and to right. be everything in every particular mm-hmm. way. And, you know, like, mm-hmm. which is, I don't claim to be a woman because I'm not, but it's <laughs> something that, like, women do write about yeah. and complain about, like, mm-hmm. particularly mothers who are also professionals, yeah. the way in which they're sort of expected to do everything. And I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of early criticism of the film and some later as well that um, you know just demands so much of the character that it becomes ridiculously impossible Mm -hmm. Um, and only the Mary Sue could possibly do that I mean I do think that there's if you take the films together like if you were Mm -hmm. to watch them back to back which I haven't done yet because I can't I mean I guess I could watch one on the way there (laughs) Um, but if you remember in like the black and white stuff at the beginning of the originals I mean the last thing Helen says is like you know like leaving you know saving you know like saving crime to the big you know the big dog to the men you know, I don't, I don't think, think so. so. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, Robert does all his stuff in, in mm-hmm. First Incredibles. And then we, she finally gets her shot. Right. And, you know, and, and she essentially picks up from where that sort of clip left off. Especially, mm-hmm. I mean, referencing her youthfulness, going back to the retro Elastigirl costume. Yeah. Um, in talking about mm-hmm. owning a mohawk, you know. Yeah. And I think um, they, and, you know, I mean, it, it is fairly obvious um, that most of the writers are men um, mm-hmm. for the show. Yeah. Um, but I do think that they do a fairly decent job of capturing what it's like for the, the, the primary parent mm-hmm. who then goes back to work. Yeah. Um, in most cases, that's you know, a woman um, mm-hmm. like Helen, but sometimes it's not. Yeah. Sort of changing topics a little bit. But one thing I want to mention is just the fun of the action scenes, too. Yeah. Because uh, I think we get a lot of comedy at the uh, domestic drama stuff at home yeah. with Robert and stuff, but with Helen, we just get like such cool action scenes with yeah. like the bike and the train, yeah. and uh, at the end with all the different superheroes, and it just made me think about how 
I don't want to like get us on a rant again, but the latest Avengers film or a lot of the Marvel films, they have all this CGI power behind it. They have all these different powers, but like it's not interesting the way they use their powers. And this, I know it's like a totally computer-generated world, but basically the Avengers films are. But they, Brad Bird just comes up with such fun ways to use these powers, and they're yeah. different from scene to scene. It's yeah. not just like doing the same thing again, punching mm-hmm. really hard or something. Yeah. Um, and he uses different techniques in this one, like following Helen at one point, it's like handheld camera, like following yeah. her down hallways and out into these different rooms. Um, a lot of it is uh, really slick to the way it's yeah. shot um, film there and I, I just if they can do it in this kids film great action why can't they do it in these live action superhero films uh, between the two so yeah I mean Brad Bird is always great with action I think yeah uh, well but, I mean I'll say two things one of which goes back to the thing from before I mean I do I, I just um, there's a part when like Robert is having a really hard time with the kids mm-hmm. and he says I don't remember exactly what the line is but he's like you know like I'm Mr. Incredible like I'm going to figure this out. Right. Um and I think that like again like if we recognize these as as part of the stories as being about midlife mm-hmm. um and the challenges of of being a person mm-hmm. um and then being a parent yeah. and then you know being essentially like a caretaker you know I mean mm-hmm. like whatever it is you know like the, the crappy version of parenting is. <laughs> um I mean it's challenging for, yeah. for anyone like right. even if that's the thing you wanted to do your whole life <laughs> yeah, um yeah. you know like you just you just clean up stuff mm-hmm. and you you pick up backpacks you know yeah. um and i think that there's a way in which like that uh, the way in which like he reasserts his like selfhood mm-hmm. you know like i i have an i've had an identity before i was a parent mm-hmm. and that identity was quality yeah. Like, I'm going to do this with the same quality, which is, mm-hmm. I mean, in some sense, really challenging mm-hmm. um, for real people yeah. um, to maintain an, an identity, like to, to parent the way you do other mm-hmm. things, because it's, mm-hmm. it's hard. Yeah. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, the action, um, I couldn't agree with you more, Eli. <laughs> um, I, I'm not going to spend time um, bashing the MCU at present. Yeah. Um, I do want to say that Again, like I think that uh, Void mm-hmm. and the way she uses her powers is the most interesting part of yeah. that bit, and it draws from. I mean, I I, I don't know if it draws ex- you know specifically from the Portal video game, <laughs> right. but um, certainly like something really really close to it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a concept that has existed lots of places, but I don't right. think it's ever done as well as it has been done in in the in the portal world um so you have like a you know like an influence not Mm -hmm. a cinematic one and and i mean brad bird is like ah what is this holly kid thing about i don't even play portal (laughs) but in my mind like watching it like it's clearly a reference to it and clearly like uses that same kind of idea Mm -hmm. and so and, and it makes for fun action yeah unexpected interesting and and the way i think the way if you will like the way like um, the good X Men, mm-hmm. the good X Men movies made mm-hmm. me feel. Yeah. Like someone has a superpower, like Rogue, for example, mm-hmm. that's really powerful. Yeah. But very specific. Right. Yeah. Like it's you know like she's not gonna punch someone out. Mm-hmm. But if she's in the right place, she will completely disable a superhero. Yeah. And almost kill them. Right. And maybe kill them if if mm-hmm. she happens to hold on for long enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that like very powerful um but sort of like 
unexpected or fragileness mm-hmm. is captured in the way Void and Helen work together at the end. Yeah. Also in the way that like uh, like Violet uses her powers, like not very effective for very long. Right, right. Right? Yeah. Um, and and that, that is what makes it interesting. I mean, it's not ultimately, for me, like I will bash Infinity War a <laughs> tiny bit. A little bit. I mean, like when you have like, we're, we're going to like, like when the, the, the time they try to overpower um, Thanos with yeah. the little bug lady and then the Peter I'm like right. well maybe if we like we, we we push really hard against him you know I'm right, like yeah, yeah it's mm-hmm. it's horrible writing mm-hmm. and it's so tremendously uninteresting yeah, that no one cares yeah. at all mm-hmm. about watching it or the outcome because right. none of it is interesting <laughs> just in just in terms of the action itself mm-hmm. I remember and you know I'm, I'm a big fan of like live action using people um mm-hmm. like i mean i i'm just like two examples one you look at blade and blade two i love blade yeah. blade is good right some of blade two is okay mm-hmm. but there's some really important fight scenes that are done in cgi and they're terrible yeah the characters just get thrown around like yeah, i mean dolls or something yes yeah. horrible and it's like, I mean, and like, you know, I mean, again, not everyone is Ang Lee, but mm-hmm. I'll take Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon almost over anything, yeah. like animated or not. Action, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Just because, like, just, I mean, it's just the, the sheer beauty of watching uh, an amazingly trained human body yeah. do that stuff That's with true. wire and God knows what. I mean, like, I remember mm-hmm. the first time I was like, I don't even know how they did it. Yeah. But I think, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, we, we there's not... I don't know what to say about the MCU. I, I, I don't know what more to <laughs> we say. We don't need to. Right. Uh, but I mean, I, I, I do. But yeah, I, do. I mean, I just think it's uh, it's an interesting comparison that, you know, what I remember when the original Incredibles came out. Yeah. Uh, the action and the animation, like when the family's all together on that island yeah. at the end, was yeah. super cool. Yeah. And I hadn't really seen things like that in animation. And uh, it's dynamically edited yeah. and really fast. And we get the joy of like, Dash running across the water yeah. and then realizing what he's doing yeah. is really fun. Yeah. Um, and I remember thinking, like, the jungle, like, wow, look how much they animated that. And then yeah. we watched it recently. And I was like, yeah, it's not really holding up. Like, I mean, compared to what we see now. Yeah. But I was like, the action is still really well built. But I think to to kind of show up superhero films 14 years later is also yeah. really impressive. And, and maybe one of their goals. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, because ultimately you, well, gosh, I mean, uh, ultimately you're telling a story, whether you're doing yeah. it with words, people moving, or like images on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have a, a pretty interesting and innovative story yeah. that's being told with these various superpowers. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also see, at least in the original, I'd have to think about the new one more, but we see the character development of especially the kids when yeah. they start using their powers. Yeah. Like, we see Violet kind of come out of her shell and um, Dash have confidence and things like that. And I think that's, yeah, you're you're telling your story through the action and character development through that action. In in some sense, you're like, it's all setting up for that Mm -hmm. conflict, too. And and you have that in the second as well. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, I mean, it's different in the first because our action is primarily around a small cadre of characters we've had a a lot of time to connect with. Um, In the second film, there's a lot of new people that are thrown in there who we learn Mm -hmm. a little bit about. I mean, they do a a decent job of introducing us to Void and, you know, Regurgitation or whatever his name is. Reflux. And, you know, some other folks. You know, and like it's, it's better than like introducing a few lame characters at the very beginning of the film only to have them there be there just for the exciting action at the end. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, I I don't know there's much more that I can say about it except um, to just, you know, echo again, a second time again, um, <laughs> your comment uh, that the action was really fun. Yeah. Um, and, and kind of unexpected. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I thought that there would be like a decent amount of cleverness espionage at the mm-hmm. end. Um, but there was a good, a good old rip-roaring 10 minutes of rollicking superhero mayhem and hijinks yeah, in there. Yeah, brawl. Um, which was great. Yeah. And... Kind of the last thing I want to mention about the animation and stuff is I was oddly surprised by um, Evelyn's, like, animated qualities. Yeah, she's really interesting the way that she moves. Mm -hmm. And I just, like, don't remember seeing that in an animated film very much. Like, especially a female character portrayed that way. And maybe it was based on... Catherine Keener, I think, plays the voice. I don't know if they based movement on her. Um... But yeah, it was just kind of like an unusual character and uh, just like her little tics and movements. Were really yeah, I mean, yeah. there's a bit like I think I think you could take like almost any any of the shots with her in it, mm-hmm. you know, and like especially if it's like her, her brother, um, Helen and someone else. Mm-hmm. And they, they all look, I mean, sure, they're animated, so they yeah. visually look different. They're stylized people. Mm-hmm. But even in like five or ten seconds of it, they all move in a unique enough way that you that they're very distinct yeah um in a way that like you i mean even if you go to the first incredibles there's a couple of bad guys they're all the same yeah and, and they're like you know which is yeah. fine mm-hmm. um but if you look i mean i also think that there's i don't know exactly how all these things progress but if you look at like the first say like season season and a half of clone wars yeah. the animation is um in terms of the shading and the models and the amount of like um vector points they have mm-hmm. on them it's pretty limited yeah, yeah. and it gets the, it gets the job done mm-hmm. but like you know once you get to the third or fourth season like there's like every element of motion is mm-hmm. so much richer and i don't yeah. know if that's just development in technology or development in manpower or whatever right. but i mean you can also see it in this too i mean even if you look at um like helen and robert in the first movie and the second i mean they they're like mm-hmm. they're the amount of inform- visual information and things on their body that moves is vastly greater right. in the second. And yeah. it becomes so much more expressive mm-hmm. um, in it as well. And so there's just, it, I mean, and so what I say is, I think there's more capacity. Yeah. Um, sure. And, and they, they fill that with difference, mm-hmm. right? It's different if like, because I mean, as, as a hallmark of some like, you know, visually beautiful video games, like yeah. everything is so amazing, but it's all just a giant amazing blur of gibberish right like it it doesn't convey discrete information Mm -hmm. whereas you know all the scenes you know which contain helen many of them i think are fairly darkly lit yeah you know and so there's the 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 palette of colors Mm -hmm. is limited um she really has a way of like moving her head and occupying the space that just I don't add a level of character acting mm-hmm. that like I mean that I haven't really seen in computer animation. Right. I mean it exists in um, I mean I would argue it exists in some films that I like that are rotoscoped, mm-hmm. like with Ralph Bakshi's work, and right. also with um, you see it in some of Don Bluth's work, which I really mm-hmm. really like. More natural movements. Yeah, but also there's mm-hmm. there's some element of like I, there's just some element of like the hand drawn mm-hmm. um, that that because it's actually drawn by a human hand that captures some of that. Yeah. But it's. Uh, you know, that's, I guess I'm a little traditionalist in that way, but I haven't really seen it as much mm-hmm. uh, in any digital animated format as I've seen it. Yeah, so. I mean, it felt like almost they must have like staged things out with like actors. And, yeah, like, or, or or just had some. Yeah. I, it'd be interested. I'd be interested to see what their process is mm-hmm. like because some of it. I mean, it. You know, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. the way and also the way. Uh, I don't know. Like. Uh, 
scenes with Evelyn just in particular, like there's the one when she's outside the pool, the one with inside the party. Mm-hmm. The way it's staged yep. is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, I wonder like, how do they make that? Did they yeah. like have someone, you know, like dress this yeah. giant three dimensional set and then they had someone pick the mm-hmm. space inside of that set where they're going to talk or did right. they design it around how they wanted Helen and Evelyn to look? Mm-hmm. Um, all of it just is a level of quality to it and a level of detail that's, you know, unique. Yeah, you don't see other places. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think that covers things pretty well for Incredibles Yeah, indeed, too. indeed. So we're both pretty big fans, I would say, of that film. Um, so maybe not quite as good as the original, but as we said, kind of hard to top that one Yeah. Um, to be able to do Anything else you wanted to cover in there? One tiny regret. Yeah. One of the greatest joys of watching uh, the original Incredibles, and there are many, uh-huh. is that when it's done on the DVD version, you get to watch Jack Jack Attack, uh-huh. which has a little bit about Jack Jack and his powers and Kari the Babysitter. Yeah. Which is fantastic. It's a it's bonus. Great, yeah, yeah. Um, I would hope that whenever they release, because that didn't show mm-hmm. in the theaters, it was only right. on the DVD, I would hope. That when they get the when they give us the DVD of The Incredibles two, mm-hmm. there is some equivalent cool little wrap up like that as well. Mm. That would be fun. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I I love the like Pixar when they explore like these little yeah. different moments in the in the bigger film. Go go into those. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think they might keep that up. Cool. So uh, thanks for listening. And if you have any uh, thoughts on Incredibles or anything else we talk about or want us to talk about, feel free to email us at extratextualshow.com and we'll get back to you. All right. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.